Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, our text this morning begins at verse 6 and runs to verse 19. Last week we began looking at this farewell prayer. Sometimes people call it the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Uh, And we noted uh, that there were actually three movements in this prayer that Jesus prays uh, to his father, but certainly in the hearing of his disciples Um, Last time we looked at the first five verses and we saw how Jesus prays for himself. Next time, next week, we'll look at verses 20 to 26, how Jesus prays for us, for those who would believe through the word of the disciples. But here in the middle section of this prayer, verses 6 to 19, Jesus prays particularly for the disciples, these 11 who are around him, hearing him as he prays. But of course, In praying for his disciples, it's right for us to take what what Jesus prays for the 11 and and extend it to us. And we're going to see that that Jesus is going to pray for his disciples, his followers, that they might know protection. But it's protection with a purpose. Namely, that we might be on mission in God's world. Pointing men and women and boys and girls to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. But, but in order to see how this prayer unfolds and, and how this all works out in our lives, we, we, we do need the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do come asking that you would help us. Lord, we, we cannot understand your word apart from the working of the Holy Spirit. Oh, to be sure, we might understand the, the, the grammar and the sin, syntax. And, but Lord, in terms of understanding your word in a way that penetrates our hearts and shapes the way we think about life in this world, Lord, we, we can't do that on our own. We would be desperately trapped in the mindset that is worldly, that is ours by virtue of just simply being born into this world system. No, we need the help of the Spirit. And we need the Spirit to take His Word and to lead us to Jesus. So Lord, grant us this grace this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 17, beginning in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, 
that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sean knows he'll protect me. That, that's what my wife thought about mm, 25 years ago as we were going to bed one evening. There was a severe thunderstorm warning out, a tornado watch out uh, for the area of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where we lived. Uh, and though the weather radio that we had said all of this, that it was a heightened situation. I I have to confess, I I didn't really think a whole lot of it. I told her, it'll be fine. And so we went upstairs to the second floor of our house that was built in 1910 there in Abington, Pennsylvania. And and I promptly conked out like I do. Uh, The next morning we got up and we turned on the radio as we were getting ready. And well, the radio said that tornadoes had touched down in the Philadelphia region. And I thought, my goodness, that's terrible. And so we got dressed and we were heading out to our favorite bagel shop, which was just two blocks away from our house. And then we saw it. Roofs ripped off of houses, signs mangled, debris everywhere. And it dawned on me that, oh, the tornadoes just weren't in the Philadelphia area they actually bounced their way through less than two blocks away from our house. Sarah, when she saw all of this, turned to me and said, I thought you said there was nothing to worry about. I thought you said you would protect me. I kind of sheepishly shrugged my shoulders and I came up with the only reply, which wasn't a good one, which is, well, our house is still standing. Like, what more do you want? All too often that the things and the people that, that we hope will protect us to keep us against the forces that threaten to undo us, they fail to do so. Our bodies, when we're younger, they're so strong, they're so able, they don't ever seem to break down. As we get older, they start breaking down. They start failing us, or even worse, they're plagued by disease and debility. Our spouses that we had hoped that would protect us from emptiness and loneliness, to, to, keep, to bear us up in times of trial, they disappoint us. Our jobs that we, we look to to give us significance and purpose and meaning in the world, they don't deliver that. And the education that we work so hard to get through college and graduate school or maybe even on to the PhD or to the law degree or the advanced training in medicine and we think it's going to give us significance and keep us from failure and it, and it can't. And even our houses, our homes that we trust will protect us from the elements or protect us from enemies outside or, or protect us from, from robbers or the, just the world. It just takes one tornado One tree falling on the house to help us realize that our homes can't do that. 
And when these things fail us, when these people fail us, what happens? We feel undone, don't we? We feel undone. When we lose our our bodies start breaking down or we feel the loss of a spouse or our job or reputation or our homes, the things that we rely upon. We recognize that the things of this world, the people that God brings into our lives in this world, they cannot protect us. We need something. We need someone greater than ourselves who can keep us, who can keep us safe in this world, this sad, broken, wicked world. And then there's, of course, our own hearts. We know our hearts. And though we sometimes struggle to access as much truth as we can about ourselves, we know ourselves well enough to know we need protection from our very selves. We need a grace that's greater than all our sin to transform us, to make us more like Jesus, to set us free to serve God in this world. Friends, the good news is that Jesus knows all of this. He knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows our reality. He knows the deep needs that we have. And as our high priest, he intercedes with the Father for his disciples. He prays specifically that God would keep us in the midst of the world, that that he would provide us the very basis for, for trying to make our way through. And while this prayer has specific reference to the 11 that are standing with Jesus in the upper room as he's praying, by extension it has reference to us. Because Jesus knows the 11 not only need what he's praying for, he needs you need it. He knows that I need what he's praying for. And so in praying these things and in listening into Jesus as he prays these things, we, we, we know that our Savior cares for us. He loves us. He will not let us go. It's striking, though, when Jesus begins to pray for his disciples, he doesn't actually move directly to a request. He he actually steps back and he reminds the Father first of the work that he's already accomplished in the disciples' behalf. He, he, He prays to the Father and he tells them that he has given them your word. Did you notice that in verse 6? He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Why Why does Jesus pray this? Why why does Jesus, as he begins to pray for the disciples, why does he remind God of of what he's already done? Well, I think what Jesus is doing here is is important because it provides the grounds for the request that he's going to make. When he prays later, Father, keep them in the midst of the world, he does so on the basis that he has given them his Word. He has manifested your name to the people you gave me. It, it reminds us, I think, that Jesus' mission, um, his purpose, wasn't a general one. It wasn't a universal one in the sense of every single person 
uh, in Israel, every, every single Roman, every single person in the world, some kind of universal reach uh, was going to be saved. So that, that wasn't what Jesus was up to. Now, actually, when Jesus gave them his, the Father's word, it was a particular people for a specific purpose. I mean, notice to whom Jesus gives the Father's word. He says it, right? He's, verse 6, I have manifested your name to whom? To the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, you gave them to me. Here we, we have a description of, of God's purpose in human history. Namely, there was a specific purpose to save a particular people. In other words, when Jesus begins to pray for his disciples, he prays for them in the context of God's election. This, this wonderful, glorious, assuring doctrine of election. Jesus isn't praying for all people everywhere. He didn't come with a purpose for all people everywhere. He had a specific purpose for a particular people. And he describes them in two ways. First, he describes them as those who, who were out of the world, whom the, the Father had rescued, who had called, who he had chosen out of the world, right? He, he says that, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. God in Jesus chose to save a particular people. Of course, in the upper room discourse, Jesus had been saying that over and again, this isn't the first time it comes up. For example, in John chapter 13, verse 18, Jesus observed, I know whom I have chosen. In John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Chapter 15, verse 19, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And here again, Jesus says, there's a particular people he has a specific purpose to accomplish in their lives. And, and these are the people who've been chosen out of the world. That's one way he describes them. But second, he says that these belonged to the Father. Right? Jesus says, yours they were, verse 6, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything you've given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And so this is that the second descriptor, not just that they were chosen out of the world, but that they belonged to the Father and were given by the Father to the Son. In verse 10, Jesus is going to say, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. You see, Jesus has a particular people and a specific purpose to accomplish in their lives, namely to give them God's word. But for what purpose? Why is it that God chose a particular people out of the world? What was the specific purpose? Well, that they might believe. That they might believe in Jesus. That's what he says at the end of verse 8. And they have believed that you sent me. Did the disciples fully understand the implications of all that Jesus has said of Jesus' word? No, they didn't. I mean, they thought they did. We saw that at the end of chapter 16, remember? 
Chapter 16, verse 31, after complaining they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about throughout the upper room discourse, they say, oh, now we understand. You're no longer speaking in figures of speech. Now we finally know that you are the Holy One from God. And Jesus says in verse 32, do you really understand? Well, here's some more news for you. Jesus understood that they did not fully understand in that moment the full wonder of what it meant that, that the Father was in the Son and the Son was in the Father. He understood that they did not fully understand why it was that he had to go to the cross to be the substitutionary atonement for their sins. He understood that. And yet, though the disciples did not understand the full implications of Jesus' person and work, they did believe. They believed that he had the words of eternal life. They believed he was the Holy One of God. They believed, in fact, he, he was the Savior. He was the Lord. They would confess that even in the hardest moments. Friends, that is the purpose that Jesus had in giving them his word. But it's not just his purpose in their lives. That is his specific purpose in yours. And the reason why you, you are here and worshiping Jesus this morning is because God and Jesus Christ chose you. What Jesus said to the disciples is what he says to you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. If he hadn't chosen you, you would have remained in the world. You would have thought like the world. You would have viewed things in line with the world, in line with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and pride of life. You would have wanted nothing to do with this God who's come to you in Jesus Christ. And yet, God in his grace and God in his mercy, because he had a particular purpose in your life, he chose you. But he not only chose you, he chose you for a purpose, that you would believe, that you would rest your heart in him, that you would receive all that he is for you, that he would be your righteousness, he would be your holiness, he would be your glory, he would be your life, both now and forever. You see, Jesus had a specific purpose and a particular people. And if Jesus has a specific purpose and a particular people, that purpose cannot fail. It can't fail in your life. Though the winds may buffet you and there might be times of doubt and struggle, you don't need to be afraid. His love won't let you go. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. The very thing that Jesus prays over these disciples, Lord, I've manifested your name to them. I've given your word to them. He can say about you. But remember, this is simply the basis for the request that he's going to make. Having prayed to the Father, reminding the Father of the work that he's done and giving the disciples his word, he moves to pray specifically to the Father that the Father would keep them in the world. It, even though Jesus has chosen the disciples out of the world, he doesn't intend to take them out of the world completely. Did you see that? In verse 15, Jesus said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I don't, don't ask that you take them out of the world and, and cordon them off in some kind of holy huddle with high walls or high fences or high gates. Uh, the place where Sarah and I went to college, Bob Jones University, the Fortress of the Faith, had these huge fences all around the campus. Um, uh, we used to think that it was to keep the world out later on reflecting it was actually probably to keep the students in uh, so they couldn't escape um, but 
But they had this sense that when you went inside those walls, you were separated out from the world, that you were cordoned off. Jesus said, no, I don't intend that you take them out of the world and place them in some kind of separate place, some holy huddle, some kind of monastery. And so don't take them out of the world. And yet, verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so we're, we've been saved out of the world. We're not of the world, but Jesus doesn't want to take us out of the world. Rather, Jesus has saved you and me out of the world. He chose us. He rescued us so that we might be sent back into the world. I mean, verse, seven, verse, uh, excuse me, verse 11, he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, Keep them in, their na- in, my, in your name, which you have given me, that, that they may be one even as we are one. They are in the world. God has sent us into the world on his mission, with his instructions, with his purpose. But as, as disciples move into the world, Jesus has a particular request, namely that the Father would keep them. The Father would guard them. He prays for the Father's protection. That's what he says in verse 11. Holy Father, keep them in your name. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Keep them in your name. The psalmist says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Keep them in your name. As those who, who, who have the name of of Jesus placed upon us, the name of the triune God placed upon us in baptism. We're actually baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That name is upon us as a strong tower to which to run. And, and Jesus prays that the Father would keep them in his name, that the Father would exercise the power of his name to keep the disciples, to protect his followers. But but why? Why do the followers of Jesus need, need the protection of the Father? Why do they need this name that is a strong tower to which to run? Well, it's because we need to be kept from the evil one. We need to be protected from him. Verse 15, Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them You protect them from the evil one. The implication is is that though the devil will be defeated at the cross in the empty tomb, he's, he's still a dangerous foe. He may be wounded. He's not yet utterly destroyed. That will happen at the end of the age when he's thrown into the lake of fire. But between the cross and the empty tomb and Jesus' return, the devil is still a dangerous foe. Listen. All too often we think that we are at war with the people around us. Oh, these, these people who think differently or they, they, they oppose things that are actually biblical or they stand for things that are actually not biblical. We think we're at war with them. Friends, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The real enemy is not one another. The real enemy is the evil one. We wrestle against principalities and powers and the cosmic darkness. and we, That's who we wrestle against. The devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's not just an imagery. It's true. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Deliver us from the evil one. Save us from him. 
And so when Jesus is praying to the Father here, keep them, protect them in your name, he knows what he's speaking of. He knows that that you and I have a real enemy. His name is the devil. And though this world with devils filled, Luther's saying, should threaten to undo us, that's not just a metaphor. These devils do want to undo us cause us to doubt and to fear and to to pull back and to not advance in God's mission and to huddle up and to try to protect ourselves, which we cannot do. No, the Lord has to fight for us. The Lord has to protect us. That's why Jesus prays, keep them. Keep them in your name. Father, I ask for your protection. But that protection isn't just protection. It's protection that has a purpose. Because Jesus not only prays for the disciples' protection, he also prays for their consecration. That's an old old Bible word, but it actually fits what Jesus prays for. He says in verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. That word sanctify has the idea of of setting something apart for service and mission. The old word consecration stood in for that. To be consecrated was to be set apart. Um, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That old great old hymn. To be set apart to you. For what purpose? For service and mission. Jesus prays not just that the Father would protect his followers, but in protecting his followers that it would be unto setting them apart for service and mission. It would be unto consecration. But how would that happen? How does this setting apart to service and mission happen? Well, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. In this upper room discourse, Jesus has talked about truth in different ways. Remember in John chapter 14, verse 6, what does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus makes a direct claim that he is the truth. But later, he's going to tell us three times that he's sending the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. And so Jesus is the truth, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, but here in John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Well, is Jesus contradicting himself? No, not at all. Now, I think what Jesus is is praying for here is is that God's Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, would use God's word, your word is truth, And when the Spirit uses the Word, where is it going to take you? Where is the Holy Spirit going to take you? He's going to take you to Jesus. Because Jesus is the truth. And that's how God works in our lives, to set us apart for service and mission. The Spirit uses His Word to take us to Jesus. Friends, that's why we need God's Word. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to use His Word to lead us to Jesus. When does He do that? Well, certainly he does that as we pick up our Bibles day by day and we read them. And before we read them, we say, Holy Spirit, please open my eyes that I might see glorious riches in this part of your word. And we read the Bible and the Spirit uses the word to lead us to Jesus in our daily Bible reading. Friends, preeminently the place where, where the Holy Spirit uses his word to lead us to Jesus is right here, right now. 
It's why I read, before I ever read the Bible to you, I, I ask the Holy Spirit to help us. That's not just a transition statement. We really do need the Spirit's help. But when the Spirit takes his word in the reading and preaching of Scripture, what does he do? He leads us to Jesus, which is why week after week after week after week, we point you to Jesus. Why do you need to be pointed to Jesus? Because that's the only way you will be set apart for service and mission. That's an answer to Jesus' prayer. When we worship and we come around God's word, we are actually part of the answer to Jesus' prayer, namely, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The Spirit, in the reading and preaching of God's word, takes his word and points you to Jesus. And in pointing you to Jesus over and again, he sets you apart because he brings you to the one who has consecrated himself, as he says at the end of the section, to be your priest, your sacrifice, your forgiveness, your redemption, your righteousness. All that you stand in need of is found in, in the consecration, in the setting apart that the Spirit does when he takes his word and takes you to Jesus. And so Jesus prays, protect them, Lord. Keep them in the word, in the world. But it's protection for a purpose. Protection that would lead to, to consecration, that we would be set apart for mission. I mean, that's what Jesus prays, isn't it? Look at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Well, God sent his son into the world for a very specific mission. He had a particular, a specific mission for a particular people, namely that he would manifest his word to those people, but also he would die for those particular people's sins. He's chosen some out of the world to save, that they might believe, and he's provided the, the very means of their forgiveness through the cross and the empty tomb. God sent the Son into the world on mission to display the word of God, to manifest God's name. But listen, if Jesus is telling the truth, he sent you with the same mission, to manifest the name of God and to speak the words of the Lord, especially the word of the gospel, this good news that Jesus saves sinners. We have Jesus's mission given to us. Now, what does that mean for us? Listen, the last several months have been scary, haven't they? Been scary. And there might be a temptation on our part to say, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't stay here. Maybe God's mission for us here at IPC in this particular place, maybe it's coming to an end. Maybe we need to go where it's safer, where we might have security and protection. But Jesus says no. No, the world follows us, doesn't it? The world follows us. So, so running doesn't help us. Hiding doesn't help us. Huddling up doesn't help us. Jesus has prayed that the Father would keep us he would protect us so that we might be consecrated as we worship around word, as the Spirit takes the word and applies it to our lives and points us to Jesus so that we might be on mission, which means that God has a purpose for us still here at 4738 Walnut Grove. There's plenty of brothers and sisters in Germantown and Collierville and points east of us, but, but God's put us here in East Memphis. If we were to leave, then who would carry out God's mission? No. No, God has a purpose for us. 
a specific purpose for this particular people. He has sent us into the world. And he promises as he prays, Lord, protect them. Keep them. Keep their going out. Keep their coming in. Consecrate them. Point them to Jesus over again so that they might be fueled and engaged to carry out their mission on this corner. As we have since 1965, and hopefully we will until Jesus returns, we have a mission. So don't be afraid. And when you are afraid, trust in him. Just as the psalmist said, when I am afraid, I trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I hope, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Why should we not be afraid? Because God's for us. There's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Jesus continues to pray this very prayer for us here at IPC. That the Father would, would keep us, he would protect us so that we might be consecrated as we're led to Jesus over again and sent back into his world on mission. Courage to your heart. Jesus is with us. He's praying for us. He won't fail us. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we ask that you would give us courage, that we might finish, uh, continue to seek to finish this unfinished task, uh, which is being your witnesses here in this particular place that you've called us to. Uh, Lord, it has been, it's been frightening over the last several months, and the darkness has felt so real and pressing in, and we've known the reality of the enemy. But Lord, we know that you have said, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us. God is greater than the enemy. You are the king. You are the savior. You are the Lord of all. We follow you. And so, Lord, please, we ask that you would grant us courage. We grant that you would ask us hope. But above all, we ask that you would grant us Jesus. Because, Lord, if we have you, it'll be enough. Grant us, Lord, these graces. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we respond to God's word,